0: Hi, this is Perry Marshall. You're listening to a free, highly abridged version of Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. The full, unabridged version is available on Audible and Amazon. Part 1. Evolving My Religion Chapter 1. Bro, I'm Losing My Religion How many times is the truth that you take to be true, just truth falling apart at the same speed as you? Until it all comes away in a million degrees, and you're just a few pieces of fallen debris. Josh Ritter The divide between evolution and creation cost my younger brother his faith. My brother Brian got his master's degree in theology at a very conservative seminary in California in 1999, but after teaching English in China for a couple years, his entire belief system unraveled. Before I knew it, he was teetering on the edge of atheism questions about creation and evolution added much fuel to the fire. During one of my visits, we rode together on a bus in the Yunnan province in the foothills of the Himalayas. We wound our way up lush, verdant mountains, looking across vast, contoured valleys where peasants farmed much as they had for thousands of years. There, Brian confided his concerns to me. Perry, I've scoured the internet and there's scarcely a geologist or astronomer anywhere, who believes the Earth is 6,000 years old. There are millions of fine layers of sediment in the Earth's crust, deposited year by year. No problem there, pal. Despite our young Earth creationist upbringing, I'd reached the exact same conclusion long before. The Earth is very old. That had not been much of a struggle, because I'd encountered smart people who simply read Genesis a little bit differently. I was content with their old Earth views. See Appendix 2. But... Brian also posed many other questions for which I lacked answers. As our conversation intensified, I felt a creeping sense of unease. I found myself growing defensive. Eventually, I retreated to what I was most comfortable with, science. I said, Brian, I'm an electrical engineer and I've spent 20 years of my life building and designing things, balancing delicate trade-offs between performance, price, and quality. Come on, dude, the idea that any kind of blind accidental process can produce fantastically elegant machines such as we see in nature is just absurd. Take a look at the hand at the end of your arm. Do you really think that happened by accident? Brian was good and ready for this. Hang on, bro, let's think about this for a minute. Let's say you've got 500 million falcons living around 20 years each and dying over a span of a 100 million years That's trillions of falcons, right? Don't you think that in that huge span of time, over that vast population, one would eventually develop a helpful feature by accident every now and then? Features that simply weren't there before, like a new eye muscle that helps them focus and see their prey better? Why couldn't that happen? Wouldn't it almost have to happen? Then, all you need is natural selection to kick in, and the better ones finish off the inferior ones, and you get better falcons. That question, wouldn't evolution almost have to happen, would not let go of me, no matter how much I tried to shake it. If this were true, it would completely alter the way I saw everything around me. I would never think about my hand at the end of my arm in the same way. I didn't see a conflict between my religious views and some notion of evolution. I didn't necessarily think evolution was fundamentally incompatible with faith. After all, the Genesis story read, And God said, Let land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. If the land produced creatures, then exactly how they all came about wasn't too specific. And, in fact, Genesis one did didn't sound all that different from evolution to me anyway. I was open to the evidence wherever it might lead. But, I'd never looked at it all that deeply. And, I knew there was much I didn't know. The last thing I wanted to do was get into an argument with somebody about evolution, a branch of science I knew little about. But, Here we were, arguing about it anyway, and the question he raised pierced far deeper than falcon ancestry. What if life itself could arise purely by accident? What if nature was a blind watchmaker steered by nothing but random copying errors and blind, pitiless selection? What if all the sophistication and beauty of life could be reduced to a simple Darwinian formula? Random mutation plus natural selection, plus time, equals evolution. If creatures inevitably accumulate accidental changes in their DNA, if bad changes get weeded out by survival of the fittest, if some accidents are good and the best prevail, then all you need is time. Enough time gives you the grand illusion of engineering and design. Wow. Well, if that were really the case... That would be flat-out elegant and revolutionary. Could natural selection be a non-stop, continuous improvement machine, one that only needs random accidental changes as inputs and delivers an endless diversity and upward progress as the output? Confirmation that such a thing was true would be a revelation to me. To think that blind forces could engineer greater machines than we can even imagine with nothing but chance at the controls? This idea shook my entire conception of the world and my belief in a universe imbued with meaning and purpose. The possibility that Brian might be right rattled me at the deepest possible level. What if my intuitions about the world were entirely false? What if everything I believed was wrong? The rest of our time together in China was spent bickering back and forth about divisive issues. As I boarded the plane home, I wondered where this journey would take Brian. Even more terrifying, I wondered where it would take me. I realized through these conversations with my brother that at a primal, intuitive level, My belief in God was connected to my sense that the cosmos and the human body itself could not possibly be here without a designer. I had lots of time to study the hand at the end of my arm during the endless flight from Beijing to Chicago. I thought about the muscles in my forearm and the ingenious system of tendons that smoothly, silently operates my fingers and joints. I thought about the nervous system and its extreme fine-tuning. I thought about how as you stand, you subtly shift your weight so circulation is never cut off from any part of your skin more than a few minutes. We all do such things mostly unconsciously, as glorious systems maintain the human body for 70 plus years. To me, this was design of the highest order. If a designer was not needed to produce ingenious designs, then there must have been scientific principles of design that they never bothered to mention in engineering school. If blind, unintelligent processes could make arms and hands and ears, then was there some principle the biologists knew that we engineers didn't know? I wanted the truth, even if it might destroy my life as I currently knew it. At the core of my being, I knew I could not live apart from integrity. I could not somehow make myself believe something that was demonstrably untrue. I was about to embark on a journey more terrifying and challenging than almost any I had faced. As soon as my plane touched down, I started hunting for an answer hard. Scouring the internet, adding all kinds of books to my shopping cart, I delved into the issue with fervour. I had to know. I bought more books, I listened to radio programs, I watched videos, I lurked in online discussion boards. My drive came from the belief that there had to be some sort of mathematical formula or underlying foundation that would demonstrate the possibilities of evolution and show its limitations. Could highly structured designs really emerge from blind chaos? Was natural selection all you needed? If so, my purpose was to locate the system or process or set of principles that proved it. Though Brian and I had been wrestling with all kinds of questions for two years, this latest conversation had pressed me to the very edge. I was teetering. Every time I took a position, he countered with something persuasive and carefully considered. That's Brian for you. Little by little, my dogmatic certainty about spiritual matters receded and I discovered what remained. When all the rest was stripped away, the remaining force that kept me from sliding into atheism was my engineering instincts. I had been an engineer long enough to know that I know that I know certain things. I had more confidence in those engineering instincts than anything else. I thought of Solomon, who said, in a lawsuit, The first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. So, I made a daring, perilous, frightening decision. I was going to let science and engineering answer this question for me. I promised that if science really told me that no God, no plan, no intentionality was needed for me to have a wonderfully engineered hand at the end of my arm, then I would make a massive wholesale change in my belief system. I thought about how my family life might change. My wife might wake up one day to find an atheist sleeping in her bed. I could end up staying home while she took my kids to church. Would I have to bite my lip or would I try to enlighten all my friends and family that their beliefs are based on fantasy? Would Thanksgiving dinner turn into a brawl over science and religion with my devoutly faithful relatives? I might lose lifelong friends over this. That is if... If evolution was really just a matter of time and chance. If engineering was possible with no engineer. Was I committing some kind of sin by trusting science more than the Bible? Maybe so. But even St. Paul, in all his logic and theology, insisted that God's power is clearly seen in nature. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Romans 1.20 Paul insisted that evidence is so obvious that there is no excuse for being an atheist. I reasoned that if you can get engineering without engineers, St. Paul's own words undermine faith. I decided, I am going to get to the bottom of this, even if it costs me everything. I just want to know it's true. I made a terrifying leap into the void. What would it take to make me an atheist? I chose to put my religious biases on the chopping block. I imagined seeing, hearing, feeling, and tasting the world from an atheist point of view. I asked myself, In order to become an atheist, what would have to be true? I would need proof that random mutations, which are the accidental changes in DNA, as you'll discover in chapter 4, filtered by natural selection, really could generate all manner of elaborate structures, like eyes and ears. I understood that natural selection has no creative power in itself, It can only act upon something that mutations have already produced. I would need to discover a principle, a law in math, science, or engineering that said X percent of the time, random mutations are neutral. Y percent of the time, they're harmful. Z percent of the time, they do turn out to be helpful. This would have to have been rigorously tested. I would need proof with bona fide laboratory experiments that all things really need to evolve is time and chance. And, one last thing. Someone would have to show that the first cells in life itself could emerge from the early ocean without any kind of action by an intelligent agent. So, Those were the things I started looking for. The atheist worldview, if correct, came with an engineering bonus. You don't need smarts to design great things. You only need lots of time, lots of accidents, and some occasional good fortune. Are you ready to put your beliefs on the chopping block? I had a deep interest in truth, much as it may be grasped by frail human beings. Ultimately, I decided that if God were real if there were design in the universe, I shouldn't need a holy book or blind faith to know. Design in nature ought to be detectable, not just through common sense, but also through normal scientific reasoning and observation. If design could not be detected in nature, that would be a strong vote against faith. I still believe that today. Yes, I am a Christian, but I have sampled the major viewpoints, tempered my original position, challenged every assumption, and arrived at a new understanding. I love science and technology. I am weary of dogma and unfounded assertions that become religion-like for no good reason. I firmly believe that even if you set theology aside, nature speaks for herself. Is evolution a process of chance and blind chaos, as some famous scientists insist? Or are living things intentional? Do we need to redefine evolution to mean purposeful and adaptive? These questions are not merely academic. They matter to our very civilization. If evolution requires ingenuity at the cellular level and not merely chance and selection, this has sweeping implications for medicine, healthcare, and technology. If design and intentionality are essential to life, that changes everything. It signals a moral responsibility toward the earth and towards each other. The only thing we'll accomplish by denying it is to dehumanize ourselves and destroy our planet. And if science points to something beyond ourselves, then we can know for sure that we're not just so many billiard balls banging around in the universe. It means man's search for meaning is not just blind groping, but a quest for something that is real. I've written this book for people like my brother who are good-hearted, love intellectual curiosity, and welcome all information, even if it bruises their belief system. People like that demand to have their belief system challenged because it's embedded in their most treasured values. Unchallenged, unexamined life is not worth living, as Socrates said, and indeed results in a life that has not been lived. Whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or traditional creationist, in this book you'll encounter key scientific discoveries no one bothered to tell you about. In the pages to come, I put the above questions on the anvil and start swinging the hammer. So, if you, dear reader, think that an examined life and an examined belief system is a good thing, then I start shaking things up in the very next chapter. Why should I read an evolution book written by an electrical engineer? Great question. When I began this journey, I wondered that myself. After all, I'd spent five years getting one degree. I certainly knew how complex and subtle one field of science could be. I thought, do I have to get another degree, this time in biology, just to understand this stuff? I quickly discovered the field of bioinformatics at the intersection of computer science and biology. Bioinformatics explores the deep parallels between genetic information and human-made systems. Nearly every concept I'd written about in my book, Industrial Ethernet, applied in some way to DNA, evolution could be studied as a software engineering problem. I read books ranging from evolutionists Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett, to the intelligent design advocates, to many less popular, highly technical titles. I summarized the best ones in Appendix 3. I absorbed everything I could about genetics, communication theory, and bioinformatics. As I waded into public and private debates online, I was able to confirm that my facts were in place. And yes, I was perfectly competent to discuss the areas where biology and electrical engineering overlap. Despite the fact that I wouldn't pass a test on mollusks, or retroviruses, my electrical engineering orientation helped me highlight aspects of genetics with crystal clarity that biochemists tend to ignore. One reason is that in electrical engineering, theory matches reality better than it does in most other engineering disciplines. For instance, in metallurgy, when you predict the failure load of a steel beam, you're lucky if your guess is within 10%. Civil engineers over design bridges by 50 to 100% just to be safe. But a model of an electrical circuit or a computer chip is often accurate to within 1%, sometimes 0.01%. Electrical engineering is highly mathematical. Theory must match reality. Everything you design has to work. This extreme precision is no luxury. In the real world, lives and livelihoods depend on accurate models. Electrical engineers have high expectations. And as an engineer, I was impressed with nature's designs. I was alarmed that people who, so far as I could tell, had never designed and manufactured a single product in their life, felt qualified to announce that design in biology is absurd. The Salem hypothesis is an anecdotal observation originally by Bruce Salem that electrical engineers mechanical engineers and computer scientists are more skeptical of darwinism than the average person john wilkins cites research showing doctors and dentists also match this pattern The hypothesis states, an education in the engineering disciplines forms a predisposition to creation and ID viewpoints. My experience confirms this is true. This is an important observation, and we will return to this question in chapter 27. As I probed deeper, I grew worried by the lack of rigor in popular evolution books evolution by randomness, was so entrenched as to be rarely questioned except by heretics. I also found an immense chasm between the version of evolution that you find in the bookstore and what practicing biologists understand evolution to be. Industries become incestuous as they age. They resist change because change threatens the status quo. Since all All professions are run by good old boys clubs. Innovations almost never come from the inside. For example, Bill Gates was a complete outsider to the computer business. Larry and Sergey, founders of Google, were newcomers to the search engine game. Early on, they tried to sell their search technology to Yahoo for a million dollars, but Yahoo turned them down. Fred Smith, founder of Federal Express, was a virgin in the shipping industry. Ray Kroc of McDonald's wasn't a restaurant veteran. He was a milkshake machine salesman. Lou Gerstner, who engineered a turnaround at IBM, had come from Nabisco and American Express. Before Jack Welch transformed GE, he was a chemical engineer. Mathematician and quantum physicist Barbara Shipman, a University of Rochester researcher, noticed that the shape of the honeybee's dance closely mimics something in physics called the flag manifold. Bee experts had never noticed this before a physicist came along. Benjamin Franklin, a printer and statesman, discovered that lightning comes from electricity. George Simon Ohm, who discovered Ohm's law of electricity, was a schoolteacher Charles Darwin was a medical school dropout studying for the ministry when he took his famous trip to the Galapagos Islands on the HMS Beagle. Novel approaches usually come from outsiders. All these people had an outsider's point of view that enabled them to see something to which insiders were blind. Likewise, I didn't invent or discover anything new. Everything you're about to discover in this book can be confirmed. By checking the references, I found the most astonishing story I'd ever heard, and nobody was telling the public about it. My outsider's perspective as an engineer enabled me to form connections that a biologist would not necessarily make. Biologists are also privy to things engineers know nothing about. Engineers have much to gain by exploring biology. The point is, disciplines need to talk to each other. Online Supplement, Biomimetics, How to Steal Nature's Secrets and Apply Them in Human Technology. Cosmicfingerprints.com slash supplement. Last, my experience as a search engine marketing consultant was a window into the deeply Darwinian world of Google advertising. For over 10 years, I've been caught up in the everyday dramas of real businesses evolving against cutthroat competition. Google plays the role of natural selection. Its job is to sort the winners from the losers. Parallels between Google and evolution are considerable. As you read, pay attention to how many different fields are making contributions to biology. Notice also how much modern biology is contributing to other fields. The world is discovering wonders in biology that you can personally adapt to technology, business, and real life. The vast majority of my sources are secular, peer-reviewed research from credible mainstream scientists. Check the references, verify for yourself that the facts are correct, and enjoy this outsider's critique of science's most hotly debated theory.